Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out! Thanks for tuning in to Popcorn and a Movie. This is Selena. And I'm David. Today we're reviewing two movies, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee. Alright, so we're going to start off with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is, I believe, the seventh feature film in the Spider-Man uh, universe. And this one focuses on Miles Morales, who takes over as Spider-Man in this one after the death of Peter Parker in his universe and the Peter Parker in this one is portrayed by Chris Pine but then Miles Morales comes in he gets bitten by a radioactive spider like how Peter Parker did but he's really reluctant at first to become Spider-Man to kind of become a superhero I don't think he really knew what was going on he was freaking out in the beginning yeah he was trying to figure out exactly what was going on because he's sticking to walls he's able to actually walk on walls and everything which is which is a lot of fun to watch as he's trying to figure out his new superpowers. So this is essentially his origin story, and it's kind of the same thing as Peter Parker's, in a way. In a way, it kind of is, but uh, you have the more vulnerability with Miles as you did with Peter Parker. Yeah, and here he's more of a troubled kid. He comes from... he's more rebellious. He's not the photographer like Peter Parker was, and... He has an uncle who he relies on more than his actual parents. And what I find interesting is that unlike the Peter Parker version of Spider-Man, Miles Morales has his family. He's just, he's so detached from them. Whereas Peter was so attached to his Aunt May, because really she was the only one that he had. Whereas Miles is like, I have parents, but I seem to trust my uncle more than I do my dad. Well, you would feel the same way too if you wanted to graffiti and tag and your dad's a cop <laughs> yeah that is, that is very true that is very true but so miles when the peter parker version of spider-man dies miles then decides to assume uh the role of spider-man for his universe what he doesn't know and what is really awesome to see is that there's what the super collider that opens up a portal and brings in all these other spider-mans into miles universe so you have the other version of peter parker who's more disheveled like he's out of shape and he's kind of lost his way in the role. I was just gonna say that he's you know got the fear gut going, <laughs> divorcey. And... He has no money and I, I love the scene where he's like oh yeah you got this right I'm, I'm out of liquid <laughs> I don't have any money on me and then um, you've got the anime Spider-Man or the who, Japanese the one. Japanese version. Okay, which I actually never even knew that there was a Japanese Spider-Man, which was really, really awesome. So there's Penny Parker, and she's got the spider, or it's SP uh, slash slash DR, the big robot that she fights in from Earth 14512. There's the Spider-Man Noir. Spider-Man Noir is probably my favorite of them, and it's not just because I'm a noir fan. I like the whole black and white and the kind of the lone aging hero story of it. He actually makes me think of Dick Tracy's character himself because he's supposed to be the detective spider-man all he does is use guns yeah and well and actually that's voiced very well by nicholas cage and nicholas cage actually when i was looking up on the wikipedia page based it off of like humphrey bogart and some of the older actors like that and what i love is that nicholas cage can come through and create so many bad movies and then come through and do something like Spider-Man, you know, and actually do really well in it. And also, I know you haven't seen it yet, but Mandy. Mm -hmm. And so he's, it's really impressive to see him do, for me at least, 
two back-to-back -back films that were just incredible to watch. And what I love about Spy this Spider-Man is that, you know, we see these new versions that even I don't know that much about, because when I grew up on Spider-Man, it was mainly just, like, the Fox cartoon and whatever... Just the regular Peter Parker. Yeah, whatever comic books were. I did read some of, the, like, the 2099 and the Ultimate Spider-Man. Miles Morales was introduced later on, and I think by that time I didn't really read that much into the Spider-Man story a whole lot. So I didn't know a whole lot going into the movie, but coming out of it, I was really impressed by what they did. What I actually really liked that is each Spider-Man or the version of Spider-Man they had was very different in its own. So some had their own different powers that they had, or if you had the two Peter Parker versions, they're complete opposites of each other. And it really shows the parallel universes that we could potentially be living in because it's all on quantum science. Well, and another thing that we forgot to mention is that in this one, the main villain, Wilson Fisk, uh, or the Kingpin, is actually voiced by Lee Schreiber, surprisingly, because I did not I, expect Lee Schreiber to be that role. I actually, I could not tell that was him. So that, to me, was very impressive because I actually really like Lee Schreiber. I, I do, too. And you just kind of see he's... What I love about the Kingpin is like he's really just boxy, so he's kind of like how Kingpin was in the uh, cartoon series, but this is almost too, or it's more um, uh, exaggerated. So he's not, he doesn't look human. He just looks like a big box, just like walking around like this. And but the triangle top, and you have the smaller legs and body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. What the Kingpin has is this thing called the Super Collider, and it opens up this portal that brings all these different Spider-Man characters into Miles Morales' universe. On accident. On accident. And so you have Spider-Man Noir, you have this uh, Penny Parker, and then you have Spider-Ham, who is Peter Porker, voiced by uh, John Mulaney, the comedian. And he's cute. He's No, he's just wonderful, because it immediately makes you think of... Like, you know, Porky Pig and Looney Tunes. And what I love is how it introduces all of these characters that have their own different tones in the different comic books that they're in introduced in and all the different stories that they're introduced in. They're able to fit into this universe so well and the movie's able to actually maintain its own tone instead of going like, okay, we're going to introduce Miles and hit this is going to be his tone of the story and then bring in Peter Porker and have it be this tone. They don't really jumble it. They actually keep it pretty consistent. I like that they give you a little bit of each individual origin story. They'll give you like a little 10 second clip and then mm -hmm. say, okay, yeah, this is mine, this is mine, and this is mine. Yeah, and what, what's great is actually like it kind of gives it its own comic book. So you see this little comic book fall onto the screen and it's like, okay, here's my story, here's my story, here's my story. And you also have, don't want to forget, um, Gwen Stacy in this one as, they call her Spider-Woman, but I also... I've always known her as Spider-Gwen, or Spidey-Gwen. As have I, and I've always known her as Spider-Gwen, so I found it really interesting that they didn't refer to her as Spider-Gwen, they just did Spider-Woman. I think she does have both names in her own series, mm -hmm. if I recall. But And she's actually voiced by Haley Steinfeld, and what's funny is both Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee have Haley Steinfeld, who has really come quite a long way. I mean, when she did True Grit back in 2010, she was, I think, Oscar-nominated for it, and she was only 14 or 15 at the time, and now she's come a long way and has really been able to carry a film on her own. Her character is actually really quick and for both of the movies I thought she was excellent in both of them yeah and we'll probably get more we'll get more into Bumblebee later but right now we'll continue with Spider-Man and I love how it just 
looks like a comic book the entire time. There were some scenes I noticed that looked like it could have been in 3D, but the version that we saw was 2D. I don't think this is coming out in 3D, if I'm correct. I don't remember seeing it in 3D, or like, you know, that was going to show in it, the but there, you did have some of the red and blue lines in there. I don't know if that was intentionally done mm -hmm. to make it more comic book-like. And yeah, I think you're right on that. It, it does make it, it does have that to make it more comic book like. So that's probably what that was. But also, when I was watching, I'm like, is this supposed to be in 3D? Because there were some scenes we watched it in 2D, but there were some scenes where like, okay, it looks a little blurry. But I mean, that wasn't a major issue for me because I just loved watching this. I yeah. loved watching, you know, Miles Morales be go from this kid who had a not really a bad upbringing, but he's rebellious and you know he gets picked on at school but he also tries to go his own way and then he becomes spider-man and it's and i love how the movie also has little references to the other ones like the brief reference to spider-man 3 when he starts dancing in the streets like yeah let's not talk about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um i i just really love spider-man to the spider i think it's probably one of my favorite animated films of the year i don't think there is a whole lot this year has there well, I mean, we did have, like, The Incredibles, obviously, and Isle of Dogs, and um, Hotel Transylvania, and a bunch of others. But in terms of actual great movies, um, Isle of Dogs and Incredibles, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think... This is the, the best one so This far. is probably the, one of the better, maybe the, the best of, of the animated films that come out this year, just in its look and in its voice acting. The, like I said, the voice actors are all incredible here. Just the way that it doesn't really... One of the main things that I was kind of wondering about is, is it going to be too nostalgia-filled? Because there were a lot of scenes where it's like, okay, they bring in all these different... To not toys, but like all the vehicles, all the characters. Are they going to make it too much? And I think they actually did it just enough where it wasn't too overpowering like we would see in some of the other films in the past where it's all like in the 90s or the 80s but then they put too much of that and it's almost hey here's a little easter egg in your face here's a little mm -hmm. easter egg in your face yeah. this one had little tidbits of different types of the spider-mans in here that made it just right yeah and like every other or most other marvel movies there is a stanley cameo which is really just wonderful to watch. He did film it before his passing. You remember, oh yeah, he's not with us anymore, but he's still here in these movies, so he'll, he'll have that memory forever. And there's a lovely tribute at the very end of the movie, too. Yes, it was one of his quotes. Yeah, I can't remember the exact quote itself, but you have his glasses on the um, screen as well, and it's just, it's perfect. I like, like I said, I think this is just a great movie. It looks great. The whole comic book feel and all the onomatopoeias that come through, that are shown on the screen as well. So you get kind of the all of it mixed together, and it just all it's wonderful. And I was talking to Matt um, from Sandwich John Films yesterday, and he was saying that um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the guys who worked on this, they also did the Lego Movie, and they were originally attached to the Solo Movie, the Star Wars Solo Movie, but got fired because it wasn't going the way that they wanted. They it. wanted well. It wasn't going the way that Disney wanted it to go, and I think it was kind of, it was more chaotic, and things were just a mess, and so that's why they brought on Ron Howard to replace uh, them, but he was saying, and I agree with him, that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is more like them, as opposed to Solo, even though they got executive producer credits on Solo, it's just... This is more their style. So this is more, you know, like the Lego movie or 21 Jump Street or those kind of movies where it's just really goofy and fun and colorful, but also there's a lot to invest in the characters and invest in the story. Like, there's a lot in 
the Miles Morales story that I really got invested to and I was really impressed by because, you know, like I said, I don't really know much about the Miles Morales character other than by name and, and some other stories. I actually like that this one really appeases to all age groups as opposed to all the other ones. They tend to aim a little bit more to either the older crowd or you get the next generation crowd in to start getting into the Spider-Man universe, which, I mean, we grew up watching and reading when we were really young, and now it's on to the next generation. But this one was all ages. I mean, my friend's son, he's only four, and he's like, okay, I really, really like the Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. And we're like, yeah, we love Spider-Man too. Well, in the Sam Raimi ones, the ones that they did with uh, Tobey Maguire, those were almost along the same way as the cartoon, at the cartoons and comics were, where they're really fun and goofy, and then when you got into the Andrew Garfield ones, those were more, like, they tried to go for a more dark approach to them, and it wasn't really working out so well. And so, with, and then you got Homecoming, which was more light, fluffy, and a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm still, maybe I'll have to watch it again, but I'll still have to, I'm still not too solid on Homecoming as a movie itself. I did like, um... Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I thought he was perfect for Spider-Man because he has that nice young look that Peter Parker's supposed to ha still have when he's in high school and you can still see that little kid in him. Yeah, but I think with Homecoming, what bothered me was trying to really push the millennial aspect and him having mm -hmm. his own YouTube channel and everything. To whereas this doesn't, um, Into the Spider-Verse doesn't really try to push the whole, hey, it's modern, we're going to make it as modern as we can. This is just, let's just tell the story. Let's just yeah. tell Spider-Man as it is. And that's how it should really be. Mm -hmm. And it it does try to keep it in the same era, like in, this, in the modern times and everything. But it also doesn't really kind of like cram it down your throat. It just, um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I, I love Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. I, in terms of rating, I think with a little bit of the, um, the blurriness was a little bothersome. And maybe like there were some characters that didn't really feel as developed as others, but they weren't. It wasn't too bad. But I'd say out of a ten, I'd give this a nine. I would probably actually give this maybe an eight point five because there's always room for improvement with everything, and I kind of want to see if they're going to carry this on a little bit more with his story. I know in the end clip it shows a little bit, which I'm not going to tell you guys what that little end clip is. You'll have to see for yourself. Yeah. No, actually, with this, but before we uh, move on to the next review. Make sure you stay through all the credits because there are so many great little cartoons that appear. There's also the end credits scene that I don't want to get away, give away, but it's it's just wonderful to watch. So there was a report the other day that since they made Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, they're going to start making some more Spider-Man films that are not Peter Parker related. So there's going to be Spider-Woman, and that's going to focus more, I think, on Gwen Stacy's character. And, but what I really want to see is, I actually would like to see all these characters have their own individual movie. I would pay good money to see the Spider-Man Noir and also the Peter Porker uh, Spider-Ham <laughs> version. Just I've never, ever known there's ever a Spider-Porker. Spider-Ham? Yeah, Spider-Ham. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, well, I mean, I, I remember seeing uh, in the Simpsons movie where Homer takes the pig that he bought and, like, Starts carry, or having it walk on the ceiling Spider Pig, Spider Pig does whatever Spider Pig does. So there's <laughs> that. There was, I, I do remember Spider Ham, like way back in the day, I think Looney Tunes or Tiny Tunes did something along those lines with um, the character. But no, I, I'd actually love to see them, all these characters have their own individual movie. If, make it happen, Tony. Please make it happen. I would love to see Spider Gwen because I want to see develop, like, relationship developments in their characters. 
Because you gotta have that in Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. So that's our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, sorry for any spoilers that might have gotten out. I, again, try my best to not give you guys any spoilers because I want you guys to see it. Again, we both really liked it. So we hope you guys go see it. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Alright guys, now for the review of Bumblebee. So Bumblebee takes place about 20 years prior to the first Transformers movie with Shia LaBeouf. This takes place in 1987 in Brighton Falls, California, which is supposed to be right by San Francisco. And we follow a teenage girl named Charlie Watson and her journey with Bumblebee and their little adventures that they have. I gotta say, this is my most favorite Transformer movie. And this is their sixth one that they have. Yeah, this is the sixth of the live-action versions. And this is the first one not directed by Michael Bay, which is, you know, Transformers fans rejoice because all the Michael Bay ones. The first one I actually enjoyed because it was fun seeing them actually come to life and seeing them in this live-action format, which we before then hadn't really seen. We saw the animated movie, and then we saw, like, the Beast Wars movies and all those. But when it comes to Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and Megatron, those characters, we didn't see them actually in live-action format until 2007. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's like after that, they all just became more loud, more chaotic, more noisy, and they became really unbearable to watch, especially The Last Night, which... The Last Night... I remember seeing the advertisement for The Last Night and going, okay, this is, looks more like a retro kind of throwback of Transformers. I'm excited, but then we saw the movie and it's like... I fell asleep. And I, I mean, I wasn't really tired, and I hardly ever fall asleep during movies, but I could not stay awake with this one. I, I remember just watching going, this is going to be the last time I watch a Transformers movie, because I'm just done. I, I can't do this anymore if Michael Bay is going to be attached to them and just keep on making them so noisy and so idiotic. And, like, there was not... And so cynical, mm -hmm. you know, with the Transformers movies, the first one I enjoyed, it's fun. Like, even though the characters are kind of just disposable, you still have that uh, the fun showdowns between all the robots where... After that, they just became unbearable to watch. You didn't really care that much for them. Now, with Bumblebee, though, you grow it. I mean, you know everything that happens to Bumblebee. Yes. Obviously, because he's in the other ones, so you know he, you know nothing really bad happens to him. Or if he does, he still comes back to life. But with this one, it made me love Bumblebee even more because they gave him more of a human aspect in his expressions that he does, just through his eyes, his motions. They did a very, very good job with that. Haley Steinfeld was great as Charlie. She really, really pushed herself as an action star in this one. And you grew to love all of the characters. And what I loved also was um, in the beginning... So, actually, one of the things we forgot to mention was uh, Charlie Watson, her dad passed away years ago from a heart attack, she reveals later on. But then um, her mom moved on and has a new husband, but Charlie is still kind of, I miss my dad, I don't care about my stepdad, and she's grown attached to working on this car that they've been working on for years, they were working on for years before he passed away, and so then she gets the Volkswagen, which is Bumblebee, and becomes more attached to that, and one of the things I loved was when they are saying, like, oh, you just smile more, and he has that book that he gives her, <laughs> and it's... Her reaction to that was just... Well, oh, I loved it. Well, I loved it because also it made me think of... I don't know if you saw this story, but when the Captain Marvel trailer debuted and the trolls were saying, like, oh, she just smile more. And it's like, wait a second. And so someone went and created all the male characters. They had a smile like Captain America and Iron Man, so it has, like, this fake smile on them. Oh, I've never seen that one. It, it's really funny to watch, but this it actually made me think of that and how it's an attack on 
the people that say that, not just to women, but to everyone in general, it's like, you should smile more. It make you look more approachable and better. It's like, no, just, you can't really tell you, tell me how I, how I should be, how I should smile more, act more. I can be myself. And what I love is also this one, all the Michael Bay films seem to objectify every single character. This doesn't. This puts Haley Steinfeld at the forefront makes her the main character and she's like tough and just free will and is really just awesome to watch and she and really she's also coming of age because she's 18 yeah and you know in the beginning she's 17 and i think like in a day she's 18 so it puts her into the i'm starting to become an independent person and this is how i want to be and kind of paves the road for her future and what she wants to do and kind of gives her that mindset of, okay, well, if I need to go away from family, this is what I'm, this is what I need to do and I can do it and make her an individual. Yeah. And this does take place in the eighties. And at first it kind of crams it down your throat that yes, it takes place in the eighties. Here are all these hit songs from the eighties. There does come a point though, where they do use the songs later on for a main focal point in the movie. I don't want to give it too much of it away. We actually missed the first five minutes of the movie, but we found out from a friend of ours that it was essentially one scene that gets played back later on in the movie. So, unfortunately, that came with the fact that we were trying to get water in the concession stands, and they were just super busy. Oh, that was horrible. That was the worst part of the night. <laughs> but um, we did watch this in the big RPX theater, which was really awesome to see all the surround sound. And this is actually... There are fight sequences in this, but they're not as loud and cynical and... As, they were cool to watch. Yeah, I actually felt like I got to watch these. They were smoothly directed and more watchable than anything that Michael Bay did with his movies, where it's just boom, 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 boom. This is more like, okay, here's the fight scene. And you actually see the characters fighting. There are some takes where it's kind of like moving along back and forth in one take as opposed to just... You know, cut, 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 cut. And with the Michael Bay ones, it was hard for me to follow. Okay, wait, who's fighting with whom and who's winning? But, but with this one, you literally saw mm -hmm. who was fighting and you saw the moves going on. So it was a completely different take on the movies. And Bumblebee, like you actually see, it's, it is his origin story, which we kind of already knew from the other Transformers films. But we actually see how he lost his voice and how he came to Earth as well. And actually, he's interpreted originally as a villain by John Cena's character, uh, Agent Burns, from mm -hmm. Chapter 7. And the thing is, I, I like John Cena a lot. So ever since he went to the acting, uh, came into the acting role from WWE, he kind of started off really, really bad with movies like The Marine and all those other ones, uh, this whole action movies. But then he's grown more into a great comedic actor with Blockers and Trainwreck and Sisters. And... And, oh yeah, and Ferdinand. Here he goes back to the more action story, but he's not really the main point, the main focus of the movie. It's more Haley Steinfeld. But here, John Cena, he is not really a good action star, in my opinion, but he works here. He's totally fine as, like, the supporting villain character. I think with this one, the, to me, why he works fine as it is because he's in the military, Section 7, he's got to be the tough guy. And he actually pulls that off very, very well. So you actually have, with the character development on the three characters, with John Cena, Bumblebee, and with Haley Steinfeld's Charlie, with Bumblebee, you, you see his vulnerability. You see how he's you know lost the memory, lost his voice box. 
and how he kind of copes with that and grows and tries to find friendship with Charlie, where Charlie has virtually no friends in the beginning and tries to learn how she can actually grow as a person. So she has a lot of personal growth development in there. And you meet, I think, as the most adorable character ever, named um, Memo. Yes. And their relationship and how that goes on with their friendship. And it's just extremely cute to watch. Mm-hmm. And then John Cena's where you kind of start hating him a little bit in the beginning because you know that Bumblebee's a good character, but that in his eyes, Bumblebee's a bad character. And then towards the end, it kind of grows a little bit more and he kind of sees what's going on and, you know, he'll say things like, okay, they're Decepticons. Don't you think that's a red flag? <laughs> but, um, yeah, before you forget, the uh, two Decepticons that come to Earth who work with John Cena's character because um, John Cena thinks they're good and they need to find Bumblebee because he's bad... Um, it's Shatter, who is actually voiced by Angela Bassett. She's like a Red Plymouth satellite and a Harrier jump jet. And then you have Justin Theroux as Dropkick, who's also a Decepticon in this movie. And then you have Peter Cullen coming in here and there as the voice of Optimus Prime. So you pretty much have Peter Cullen in all the mm-hmm. um, Transformers movies to date. Now, don't forget the Optimus Prime hasn't arrived on Earth yet. Because yes. this doesn't take place when the Autobots actually come to Earth. So Optimus Prime is still somewhere that he's still hidden they don't Mm -hmm. know where he is and that's where the decepticons come in and try to interrogate bumblebee to see where optimus prime is but yeah i like i said this is a probably the first great transformers movie to come out ever because the first one was just good there were a lot of things i didn't like about it but there was some there's like enough to like about it to say it's passable but this is the first one where it's like i actually felt more invested in the characters and wanted to watch more of these movies and we should mention that um the director's name is travis knight he actually did kubo and the two strings that was his first movie that he oh, did i love that movie and yeah he's he's really shown there how important it is to have character dynamics and how to have the importance of and kubo at least the, the importance of family to whereas in this one it's you know the family's there even though she's rebellious she kind of grows to understand okay my family's here and getting attached to bumblebee is also part of my family as well and this is very much like an et movie et the extraterrestrial where you have this alien from another earth or another planet coming to earth and not knowing how everything works and then growing to understand the human human society in the 80s he's like learning how to all the different things that were popular in the 80s so all the different songs all the different movies that they watch on VHS, and it's just, there oh. There are some little uh, eggs in there that are just great to watch. I'm not going to give them away because it's just so fun to watch Bumblebee, you know, get used to all these different uh, cultural references in the 80s. I I really did like this one. I, it actually made me want more Transformers movies like this. As long, Michael Bay's name is attached to it, but as a producer. So, and you can kind of see there are some of his aspects in that movie, but but it's completely different from all the other Transformer movies that's been done. And this is also executive produced by Steven Spielberg, who was also an executive producer on the other ones, but this is more of a Spielberg film, of an 80s Spielberg film, as opposed to a Michael Bay film. And I like that this one isn't very heavy. It's very lighthearted, and there's so many funny scenes in there that it just makes you... You don't know if you want to go cheer them on or if you just want to laugh at them the whole entire time. Yeah. And also we should mention that all the other Transformers movies cost like what? 150, 200 million, sometimes more than that. This one only cost 104 million and is less than two hours. So you're not sitting in the theater for a long time just thinking, okay, when's this going to end? You're, 
you're actually it it's the right runtime it's like just the right amount of budget that they needed for it i'm i'm really impressed that they didn't go too much with this one i felt really really good about this one i honestly i didn't feel that even ran long at all Mm -hmm. because i was just so focused on the movie that the couple behind us were kind of talking a little bit i don't know if you heard them but they were kind of talking a little bit i didn't even want to bother shushing them yeah because i was just too focused with the movie and it was was just too cute to watch that i didn't want to bother to ruin the night yeah so if travis and i can do more of these movies more bumblebee movies or transformers movies like this then I'm all for it. I actually want to see more of the movies like this. I'm going to say out of a 10, I'd give it an 8.5. Oh, see, and here's where I flip with you, because I give it a 9. <laughs> <laughs> so there's our little flip in there. Yeah. yeah, but no, this is definitely the Transformers movie that the fans have been wanting. Even though watching the Transformers cartoons now, I can't really get into them, because... It's changed. It's changed a lot. Well, and, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you watch it as a kid, like, oh, Transformers, you know, cars turning into robots kind of thing, and you're watching it now, it's like, mm, it's not that great, but even as an adult, I can really get into this Transformers movie and really get invested into the characters and what the story is and really just... I want more of these. I actually want to see more of these like this and this is coming from a guy that swore off the Transformers after <laughs> last night and being so disappointed and so upset it's like I keep giving Michael Bay all these chances and I'm always disappointed in the end you know I haven't liked the Michael Bay film really since The Rock um, that, which but, I haven't seen see that like that was one of his earlier films and that was probably his one of his only good films um, but you know, then again, there was one of those, I, I used to like him growing up, so I, at the time, I did like Armageddon. I still, there are some parts in Armageddon that I like, but as a whole, I don't like it that much. It still makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, if we can actually get more of the Michael Bay, less directed Transformers movie, I'm all for it. So, yeah, those are our reviews of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Bumblebee. And, again, actually, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes out December 14th, so that's this Friday. And Bumblebee comes out December 21st, which is next Friday. So that's right before Christmas, guys. And actually, there aren't really any Christmas themes in either movies, but, you know, this is still, this is just a lot. They're both a lot of fun to watch, and I hope you guys go check them both out. And they're great family movies, Oh, too. yeah, no, surprisingly, like, I mean, Spider-Man is more of the family film because it's PG. Mm-hmm. That There's, like, a little bit of violence. I think there's one, someone says hell or damn or something like that, but, and Bumblebee, I don't remember there being that much curse no. language or coarse language. But um, there is, like, a lot of robot and robot fighting that can get a little too maybe scary or chaotic for the kids. But, yeah, like I said, this is... the Bumblebee is the best of the Transformers films, for sure. And the more... I think the more family-friendly of the two. Of all the Bumblebee movies. Yeah. Or all the Transformers, Transformers movies. movies. Yes. Alright. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Have you guys seen it yet? And if so, let us know what your thoughts are in the comments below. Hope you tune in next time. Bye!